Welcome to Artish Plunge, a podcast for anyone interested in the curious relationship between artists and their other professions, day jobs, or past vocations that have allowed them to make the art they do. I am your host, Christy darnell Batani, and welcome to the very first episode of Artish Plunge. I am so thrilled to have you here, and I'm particularly excited to introduce you to our guest today. In the studio, we're going to be talking to Sharon Kyle, a multidisciplinary artist best known for her unique use of texture and materials. Sharon often incorporates found ordinary objects like rusted metal, wood, paper, and cloth, alongside industrial materials such as concrete, asphalt, and insulation foam. Sharon's work transforms old, rusted, discarded materials into elegant but provocative statements on aging, gender, and cultural values. As we peek into the studio, I've asked Sharon to make a sound with something that plays an important or special role in her art practice. Let's listen and see if we can guess what Sharon has for us today. Candle, she is... She's pretending she's in The Wizard of Oz. She is... Give me a hint. (laughs) It's my propane torch. Do you have it with you? No, I no. Don't. Uh, so we'll see. That's what it was. It was a fake propane torch. No way, I, I couldn't guess. <laughs> so, what do you do with a propane torch, Sharon? I use a propane torch uh, daily, and I I I burn beeswax and asphalt and wood and um, other things, anything I can see. <laughs> now, is this a burning out of anger, or is there a reason for this madness? <laughs> Actually, the aesthetic of it is what I like. And, and the, the propane torch actually eliminates the need for electricity, too. So I, I either use a propane torch or a heat gun in all of my, most all of my work, uh, particularly when I'm using beeswax and resin and other materials. Tell us what, some folks may not be as familiar with the beeswax material. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, it's uh, an ancient art form. Encaustics um, is, is a commonly used description, and that involves beeswax and damar resin and pigment, and that pigment for me can be outside the box. I often use dirt and sand and, um, you know, concrete powder. I use plaster. I use a lot of things. I've used spices. I've used um, just about anything you can think of that produces color and texture into the beeswax and resin. But once it's applied, which is a hot liquid form onto the wooden panel, you, you fuse it Uh, in order to create a solid surface and that fusing requires heat and that heat for me is used is where I use a propane torch or a heat gun. I have to say that one of the reasons I was so excited to have you be my first guest is not only do I love your work but you were um responsible for one of my biggest and first art plunges in the sense of when I moved to Austin and this is going to date us I think So I think I met you in 2008, and I was working somewhere else at the time and thought I would, um, on a lark, take a art class in something that I had never heard of before, and it was an encaustic class, and Sharon was teaching. And I think, you know, looking back to that, that was the first time I met someone who was an actual working artist, that I could see what it looked like, and that it was a viable 
profession and thing. And before that, it had always felt kind of mystical. And I think, you know, not only did we hit it off, but it started being a a real possibility. And so, um, but I can also blame you for my use of a torch. And now the and that was also when um, I think my husband kicked me out of working, having a studio in the home was when I brought the torch inside. <laughs> yeah, that, that tends to, to, to scare your roommates or, or spouses. <laughs> it's, it's not a recommended, it, it, no. So tips, boys and girls, don't play with torches in your bedrooms. But uh, well, let's, let's just go into today. Have you used a torch today? Um, not today. I haven't, but I used one all day yesterday. <laughs> nice. Where, where are you today? Where are you I'm looking? in Fort Worth today. I was in Houston for the last four or five days. Uh, finishing up some work and I also have a studio in Fort Worth so I'm kind of crossing geography going back and forth from Houston to Fort Worth. Well and so what have, what have you been working on today? I have been working on um, wooden boxes with found objects. I'm getting off the wall slightly uh, in doing three-dimensional sculpture and that three-dimensional sculpture follows the same theme as my work, using found objects, mostly rusted and weathered wood, distressed wood, things that have aged naturally. Um, and I'm putting them together, and I'm having a lot of fun with it. I'm experimenting uh, and kind of nice. going beyond what hangs on the wall. So tell me about this project that you're working on with boxes. Does this have a, a place that it's going? Do you have anything you're working towards, or is it experimentation? Um, it's primarily experimentation, but I am putting one of these in a show uh, next month. And um, but experimenting is is sort of my my middle name. I I like to experiment. <laughs> and what does experiment mean to you? Because I think it's different than what it might mean for some of our listeners. Do tell. Well, experimenting for me, I, everything in sight goes into my art. Everything in sight. And that can be limbs that have been treed off, uh, trimmed off of a tree. Uh, that happened recently. That can be uh, a pile of coffee grounds uh, that I throw in there just to see what happens. That can also be... Um, weathered wood that I find on walks in the morning. And uh, I'm notorious for walking, taking a walk and, and coming back totally loaded down with stuff. <laughs> well, I know I used to love uh, dropping by your studio when you were here in Austin. And inevitably, because you attract so many friends and people that they want to help. <laughs> and there would just be these random people dropping off who knows what it looked like junk, perhaps, to uh-huh. some, but it would become uh, these amazing pieces of yours that have all this texture and layers of, of different objects that become very um, elegant when they're finished. Well, I had that happen this week. I, I, I came to my studio one morning in Houston and outside my studio door were some huge rusted wheels and an old spring off of a piece of industrial equipment. And someone that had fixed my lights recently in the studio, uh, he was demolishing a building around the corner and he thought of me and he left it. And of course, the wheels have already gone into a piece. <laughs> so <laughs> that's uh, nothing is safe. Yeah. Nothing is safe. And when I visit other people, I, my eyes are scanning. So be careful if I come to your house. <laughs> Although it's so often rusted that I think uh, most folks are pretty eager to go ahead and let you have it. Uh-huh. So. Do you ever, do they ever get so heavy? You can't move them? Um, yeah. I've got a bruise on my arm right now from lifting one yesterday. Um, yes. And I'm trying to work smaller and I'm trying to work lighter. Um, 
Which Wh- is, why is that? Because of aging and my body is screaming at me saying, would mm-hmm. you please slow down here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, until I can get an assistant, I'll, I'll uh, continue to try to work smaller. What are, are those on paper, did you say? Um, I am working a little bit on paper, but I'm just working smaller. These boxes and um, smaller sculpture pieces just sit nicely on a pedestal, uh, which is a little bit odd for me because most people that hang my work have to hang it on molly bolts, and uh, it takes a crew to lift it. So, Tell, uh, Listeners might not know what those are. Describe the bolts. Um, they you you uh, you have to anchor them inside of a wall in order to hold some of my pieces uh, weigh close to a hundred pounds and uh, a typical sheetrock wall it'll just tear it right off if you don't anchor those uh, cleats or whatever onto the wall so yeah you can't just hang a lot of my work with a nail. <laughs> Well, and this this might be a good segue into, because I happen to know some of your background, um, you didn't start off uh, initially in fine art, is that right? No, I didn't. I was in commercial real estate, actually. And where was that? Tell us a little bit about that. In Houston. I grew up in Houston, uh, and I worked in commercial real estate. I did property management and retail leasing for a real estate developer, and um, and. And also he had a partner who had a construction company. And that that uh, was a learning experience for about eight to ten years. I uh, learned how to build interior finish-outs. I worked with contractors. I worked with building materials. I, I worked with lenders. I learned how to shop out loans for shopping centers. I, I, I Because they were a small company, I... I dealt with tenants, I managed shopping centers, I learned how to do budgets, I learned how to do pricing, but but what I take great pride in is that I learned about construction, and I learned construction materials. And I think even then, I was gathering construction materials. I, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, I would, I, I didn't put them into what I consider art today, but they certainly went into my house as uh, decor and decorative items. Uh, I remember spray painting some uh, beautiful old rebar and making a a plant out of it. (laughs) And people would laugh like, wow, how'd you do that? (laughs) So, uh, yeah. And at that point, were you doing anything that would be considered fine art at the time? Like, Was art a part of your life? No, not really. Um, I, uh, you know, I'm always scavenging. I'm always refinishing furniture. I was, I was, you know, I, I, my eye was always scanning things on the street. Uh, but did I make art out of them? No, I, I honestly didn't. Um, but a creative, a creative vein is there, and it, it, it showed itself all over my house and personal life. So, yeah. <laughs> and then, how did you transition from that to? What life brought next? You know, I, I transferred to Atlanta with a real estate company, and I worked in Atlanta for a couple of years, and um, I just reached a point in life that I said I always wanted to study art, and I always wanted to to finish college. And I took a plunge. I uh, quit my job without any real security in sight, um, and I started back to, to school. And I started to school for one semester, two semesters in Atlanta. 
and I went to Agnes Scott College. And from there, at the second semester, I had worked with my art professors doing a research project that summer for the High Museum, and I, I knew I needed to go to New York. And I applied to NYU. I was 35 years old, and I was accepted, and I knew no one and had no real security, and I moved to New York and went to NYU and graduated with honors. And I'm curious to go back to that moment. Yeah, it was scary. <laughs> I bet. Well, and I want to go back to that because I'm imagining um, when I was in my 30s, and at first I'm curious, like, what brought it into your head that um, you wanted to study art, that you, you might want to create and produce art? I had been influenced by a friend of mine in Atlanta. Um, he he was an artist and uh, a quite good artist. And I was always fascinated with what he did and how he did it and that he could make money from it. And uh, it, I, I never dreamed I could do it. And I was I was at where I worked and a woman I worked with said, you can go back to school. And I, I argued with her a lot and said, no, I can't, no, I can't, no, I can't. <laughs> and she said, yes, I can, yes, I can. Well, I took, I took a chance and I applied and I was, I was shocked when I got my acceptance letter. But that influence and in watching someone else, I used to go to art openings, I used to see artist studios. At that time, uh, there was a part of downtown Atlanta that was being revitalized and a lot of artist studios were going in. And I longed to be in that community. And I I just knew that's what I needed to do, and um, I did it. I just did it. I just took the plunge and did it, and it was very scary, but everything worked out. It's interesting because I think, you know, a common thing that I hear, and I know I felt this way too, it's there is a moment, though, where someone gives you permission, mm-hmm. you know, and says that it's that it's okay to do that, to go back to school, to to lease a studio or whatever it is. And, you know, I know for me, I've often felt like people need that moment where, Mm -hmm. and and it could be a random soul. It could be somebody on the bus line or in the airport that gives you that permission. But you, you know, a lot of us, I think are seeking that and looking for that. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's, there's also that moment though, that clearly you're looking for it. You know, the fact that in, when I hear you talk about, and I'm familiar with that part of Atlanta, going to those spaces and, um, I, I don't know. Can you remember what it felt like walking in this space? Is like what? what oh, absolutely, it absolutely. I remember one in particular, and at that point, there's a, a watercolors. I, I suppose she's still a watercolors, but she was fantastic, Diana Fish, and she was having her first solo show, and she's a quite accomplished, very successful artist today. But I remember looking at her work and 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 thinking, and it was in these people's gallery slash loft where they lived and I thought that was I, I, I knew right then I wanted my work hanging I wanted to live in a place like that and and I can still I can smell it I can see the floors I can tell you every aspect about it and that was you know 200 years ago <laughs> Hardly. not literally <laughs> well yeah. and I'm curious to hear a little more too because um, not everyone either has the means or the gumption to go back to school um, after their little, already had some years of experience. So tell us a little more what that was like. It was very scary, <laughs> to put it bluntly. Did you live alone? 
I did. I lived alone. Um, and I, um, I, I didn't have a large amount of savings. I, you know, I had enough to, to, to get me going, but, um, I had a lot of faith and I, I just believed it was going to work out and, you know, call that naive or in denial or, or faith. I don't know. But, uh, the first month someone asked me to, to do a pretty substantial job for them to, to cater a luncheon for their child's private school. And I made enough money to keep me afloat for two more months. And then that month, you know, it was a huge nursing association in Atlanta that asked me to cater there. And I'd never catered in my life. And and from there... <laughs> was that at the real estate agency, you know, too? Uh, no. It's funny because I just like to cook. And, um, you know, again, that's just how life tosses you little opportunities you don't even know is coming your way. And... Um, and so I just took a plunge and I said, yeah, I can do it. <laughs> and I made, you know, 200 brown bag lunches for, you know, and then I, I, I borrowed everyone I knew silver to cater this thing at the, at the private school. You know, everybody I knew that had a station wagon was hauling food for me. And, uh, <laughs> and then at the Nurses Association, I, I painted on every single brown bag. I painted little designs. And, oh, they thought that was so creative and so nice. And, again, there's the artistic flair. But, um, and then at that, when someone else asked me to cater uh, something down at um, one of the, the, uh, the hospital for all the doctors and so things just happened. And then one of my professors asked me to work with her on a research project for a show that was that she was curating at the High Museum. And now that, that was a paid position. And then someone else asked me, you know, and one thing led to another. And it just worked. It just worked. Um, you know, with the knowledge I have today, it would be even more scary to go back to those days. <laughs> but, there is some benefit to being a little bit uh, young and dumb, but... <laughs> Yes, uh, and the funny thing is, I wasn't really that young, but I was uh, borderline dumb. Well, that. it's <laughs> funny to listen to you talk about. I don't think I've ever heard the brown bag stories, but um, thinking forward yeah. to how food and that continue to play a part in in the way I know you work. You, you collect people. I mean, you more than anybody I think I've ever met. You truly <laughs> collect people. You have an energy, um, and people want to be around you. But one of the ways I've I've watched you do that is with food and. And um, and it's such mm-hmm. an interesting thing because I think food is a very creative form in and of itself. But how that has yeah. um, also brought people into your life. Food has definitely played a part in my life. And what's interesting uh, is that the way I create art is identical to the way I cook. Uh, oh, please talk about that. <laughs> I need to hear more about that. Because, why? Because you're cooking your dinner with a propane <laughs> <Yeah>. torch? <laughs> No, I don't follow recipes and I don't I don't read instructions. I look at recipes for ideas and I I look at art images for ideas, but I don't follow a recipe. I don't follow directions well. <laughs> and uh <laughs> and I um 
I've noticed over the years that I cook very much the way, you know, it changes midstream. I start out with a menu in my head and midstream I think, oh, I won't have those. I'll have this, you know, and I might be cooking for 24 people and it just changes in midstream. And that's exactly how I do my art. You know, I, I start out with a vision and I start out with materials and midstream, it often takes on a life of its own. Um, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't veer too far, but I also use cooking utensils in my art. And I know you've been in my studio any number of times. So, but for your audience, I use electric skillets. I use pancake griddles because I need to heat, um, the wax and I need to have, and I have old pots and pans in there and, from a kind of skewed artistic vision, it might look like a kitchen in there. <laughs> well, and it has all those aromas in there. There is definitely this warm sense of kind of alchemy cooking up something mm-hmm. that happens with the encaustic process that I know was really intriguing to me and I think to a lot of other people. And those pieces, it's not exactly that they smell, but they keep on some of that sensoriness to them that is really interesting I think yeah it definitely plays to all of the senses your smell your touch you know my hands are involved um I'm you know I'm having to think so my it's just a lot of a lot of things happen when I'm creating art um it's not it's not just a one-step process so well, one of the things I always find interesting, too, listening to people talk about their stories is that um, maybe it's almost like with children, all all of the parts were there from early on mm-hmm. that now take uh, a more visible shape in your, your artwork. But those pieces of you were, were always there. And in this process of, you know, whether it was from the construction company and the sort of excavating materials and even the cooking and the these different things, they they're inside of all of us. And it's, it's, it's almost this process, I think, of part of the artist journey, finding those piece, pieces in yourself and learning to trust them and seeing how they take shape in other forms, which is really interesting, I think. But um, it's almost like we're, I, sometimes I feel like I'm the most blind to the things in my own self. I can see it in other people. Mm-hmm. I can see it in your work. And, and so I think that's interesting to, to have these moments where, um, you know, like in this case, some of our listeners probably haven't, haven't yet seen your work. They will hopefully after this, but, and see like, it's this, this interesting story that's always been there and it's just taking shape now in different materials. Well, I definitely see it. And even, even further back, as you, as you said, I mean, even further back when I was a kid, a very young kid, my dad uh, worked and delivered furniture and appliances for Sears and Robux. That's what he did all, you know, most of my life. And he would bring home these ginormous uh, refrigerator boxes or, or these boxes that washer and dryers were in. And, and he would bring them home for me and I would cut uh, doors and windows and I would take leftover house paint he would give me and I would make an entire village in our backyard with these boxes and I think about that sometimes when I'm working with these little bo- I'm still doing it <laughs> <laughs> you know they're not they're not you know appliance boxes but they're it's a very similar process and I I often forget that that we do bring forth our life and our art, even when you don't consciously 
try or, or, or put an effort in it, you, you do, you can't escape it. Right. Uh, so it and, is. And, and there's no, there's no version that doesn't have interesting material to work with, mm-hmm. you know, no matter what your circumstances were when you started out, no matter kind of the different paths that you went along to get there, all of those pieces inform something, you know, I, I feel certain like, you know, for example, back to some of the construction work, like, I have to believe some of that has influenced what you're able to do then like in the educational sales that mm-hmm. then we haven't even got to that. Talk a little bit about how did go forward now from art school a little bit and, and bring us on. Well, I graduated from, from NYU and I also graduated with a degree in art education. So I did not want to go into the public sector and teaching, but I have throughout my art career for the last 25 years, I've, I've explored teaching in my studio, and and that's obviously how you and I met too. And I enjoy that at times. Um, but what I did do, prof- did you enjoy the time that you had me in your class? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> was I <And> your favorite? <laughs> you were my favorite, but you were late to class, if you remember. <laughs> I was. I do not remember that. <laughs> They, they were having some running event in downtown Austin, and you couldn't get there. <laughs> that I believe. <laughs> no, but but no, yes, you were you were quite wonderful. You were an excellent student. <laughs> um, but uh, I mean, I did educational sales. I had I still had to make a living, and I had to make money, and and I didn't quite believe yet that I could do that from my art, um, and so I. I, I, you know, thought about how could I teach, but I also went to work for publishers. I went to work for um, McGraw-Hill, and, and I sold curriculum, and I was in the school systems, but I wasn't in the classroom. And I did that for a number of years, and I had a lot of flexibility there, but I also had a solid base of income. And I think I think a lot of artists think in, and I know I was one of those, in black and white terms. You think, okay, I'm either working or I'm doing art. And from one of my very favorite books and huge influence in my art career, um, Real Artists Don't Starve, and the author is, is I think, Jeff Goins, G-O-I-N-S. I'm not sure if you haven't read it. We'll put the link. Yeah, we'll put the link. Yeah, strongly encourage that book. But but he talks about that it's a process. You know, you you gradually, you know, you don't just go from zero to overdrive. And so that was that applied to me too. I had to build up a financial base. And there there is freedom when you know you can pay your bills. You know, the stress level is down. So you know, a lot of artists have different opportunities, and um, and all opportunities are are opportunities. But for me, I needed to work, and I chose educational sales, and I I enjoyed it because I was with teachers, I was with kids. I I've often over the years incorporated art lessons um, with the teachers. I've gone into school districts, and I've actually um, you know done workshops with teachers, and they love it. So. There's a way to make money and to do art until you reach a point, which I did, where I could do art full time. And and uh, it's it's much. I read somebody's um, little autobiography, and I don't remember the artist's name, but how she said it was a lot less stressful to keep her job and make money, and then do art at night and on the side. And 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 she also had children and. And she said, you know, it, it doesn't just happen overnight. 
Um, so art can be a part of your life regardless of the other components of your life. It, it doesn't have to be an all or nothing. And it took me a while to, to sort of take those, those blinders off and to see the world that it wasn't so compartmentalized, that we right. just do what we have to do. Well, and I think that the art process uh, for your own body of work, you know, it takes time to develop and it, it changes, it grows. And so it's pretty unrealistic to think that right out of the shoot, either coming out of school or the moment you put a stake in the ground and say, I'm going to be a full-time artist, that at that moment, it's fully formed. It's, it's, it's always kind of growing and changing. And so there's, I think, a, an incredible amount of pressure we put on ourselves if we leave our day job um, or don't or feel like we have to be able to support ourselves completely from art from day one. It's, mm -hmm. I think that's a little unfair, frankly, to your own art. Well, and it's, it's unfair to yourself because it, it creates stress, you know, or it did for me, at least I, I everyone is different. Everyone's opportunities and environments are different, but um, for me, the the knowing that I had income on a, on a regular basis, it eliminated that stress level. And it allowed me to actually produce art. So, At what point did you decide, okay, I think I want to spend, I, I don't want the distraction of a different job during the day. I want to spend um, my working hours being an artist. Uh, what was the turning point for you? Um, it was it was several years back. Um, and, and I realized because I started, I started doing commissions for people too. You know, various people along the way started asking, well, you know, could you do a piece like that, but could you do it six feet by nine feet? And then I started working with art consultants, and art consultants were putting my work in corporate environments, which uh, dictated, you know, site-specific work, and a lot of very exact details went into that. But what also went into that was a level of income that I saw I could actually live on. And if I took my sales experience and applied it and started marketing myself, you know, all of a sudden the skills were there and I became a one-person shop, so to speak. But but that gave me the confidence that, hey, if I just put a little more effort on this side of it, I could I can keep this going. And I've been very, very fortunate that that I have had income from multiple sources too, um, that enable me to do that. But I think just over the years, you gain more confidence, you gain more opportunities, you, the more you, you meet artists, the more you see that not every artist is of the same flavor. You know, we're all uh, like Baskin and Robbins, you know, everyone does this a different way. But at the end of it, you're all creating art. So I always tell people to look back into your, your skill sets that you've already used. Uh, I know you and I've talked about this quite a bit that those past jobs, professions, whatever they were, there was a skill set there that you've already mm -hmm. mastered or comes sort of naturally to you at this point. And, you know, for you, just again, like um, working, whether it was in the construction projects or real estate um, or with sales, you get used to these um, project based work. And you know how to move those things along. You know how to have a client trust you with that work. So mm -hmm. doing that with art being the object that you're working, uh, producing for the client felt very natural, I know, for you. And so Absolutely. it's, you know, and everybody, again, like you have something in your past that you've already done that will translate into a way you could use that 
in your art world too. And I always encourage people mm-hmm. to look for that and think, you know, if you and I both have had similar experiences where that idea of commission work kind of made sense for us. Exactly. And and some of that skill set you just take for granted. But if you're talking to to a new artist, uh, you know, it's everyone has a skill set and, and, and working for me did that, you know, working in the corporate world. And so I, I don't look at those years as wasted. I look at them as being very valuable. One of my favorite uh, commission pieces, it, it got to a point where it was for a corporation. And so there were multiple layers of decision makers and, and people who had to prove it. And there was something towards the end where I had made a suggestion of how I, I felt like it needed to be. And I think the first level consultant wasn't comfortable making the choice. The next level of person didn't want to make the choice. And so it kept going up the ladder and ladder. And finally, at one point, I just had to put into an email, here's what I think and why I'm going to push back. And it was just like back in lawyer days, you know, I was just making my case. Uh-huh. And, and it, sl- it went oh. right through easily. And I'm like, okay, there you go. There was some value to all those years of writing exactly. briefs. <laughs> it is. And, and I think you just, we yeah. forget that, you know, we forget it's okay to be who we are and what we know and to bring it on into yeah. the art world. Yeah. Well, what was, a, what was a moment when you, you realized, all right, I'm an artist, I get to do this every day. I am a full-time artist. When did it kind of sink in? You know, I I say that all, almost all the time. I I I don't I don't know that I have a moment, one of those aha moments, but I do remember distinctly when someone asked me once, "What do you do?" And I I at that point had had stopped working in the corporate world, and you realize in those moments that your identity comes so much from what you do in the work world. And, and I remember saying, well, I'm an artist. And it, it almost, it was borderline feeling like I was an imposter, you know, Sure. <laughs> but at the same time, and of course, the first question that followed was, oh, do you sell your work? You know, everything's, everything's connected yeah. to money, you know, for everyone else. Um, and, and at that point, I, I actually had sold a couple of little pieces, which I was shocked people would even buy. I just, you know, I, I it was just surprising to me that someone would pay me money for art. But um, now that's not surprising at all. But, <laughs> but yeah, it was that moment of saying, I'm an artist. And I just said it almost like you were in a play right. acting or something. But uh, <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm. I'm no longer an, an attorney. I'm no, an I, artist. It's in the trailer for the podcast. <laughs> um, it's taken me years, and there's still moments where I have to take the deep breath before I say, "It's like this is I'm an yeah. artist with a capital A." You know, like that's my my business card. Um, and I think that 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 also works in tandem with us taking ourselves more seriously too, because over the years, I. I don't mind saying that now. I know all the questions that are going to follow, so <laughs> I get ready for all those questions. But I am pretty grounded in who I am and what makes me happy and what I can do. Well, that's always the benefit of doing um, things like open studios and shows and things where you have to be out there talking mm-hmm. to people and saying it over and over and over and over. And after a while, it just gets easier. You don't have to think so much about it. And you start believing it for your own self too. It starts to feel real. Right. It's the, the clothes you put on each day and that's who I am now. And so I do always encourage yeah. people to 
you know, put it put it out there, both your work and yourself as being that. It doesn't have to be the only identifier for yourself, but um, the more you try that on for size, the more likely it's going to fit yeah. one day. And yeah, that's kind of that's fun. True. Well, so tell me about a project that um, you're really proud of, and either one that you've already done or you're working on. You know, I'm I'm proud of um, of a project that I did a couple years back in San Francisco. Very proud of that. Um, Describe it. I I went I went to a lot of effort. Uh, someone had had a piece of furniture made and had an absolutely beautiful condominium in San Francisco, penthouse level, uh, overlooking the bay, overlooking the Golden Gate Bridge. I mean, it's just breathtakingly gorgeous, and this person had had a dining room table custom made out of a special walnut. And anyway, so I, I did all this research, which, which again, brings in a lot of my background. And I went to some walnut tree growers, some walnut growers in the Central Valley, and I gathered walnut tree limbs and brought them back in a pickup truck. (laughs) And then I cut them and I did a piece that was, I think a six feet by nine feet. I, I, I'm not completely solid on the dimensions to go in that room with his table. And when that was hung with all of the things he had had custom made, I was so proud. But I was most proud that I took an extra step and I did a lot of research and I I collected things that were meaningful. And of course, you know, they were extremely impressed. And it, it was just a nice project. It was a very nice project. Not all projects go that simple. No, but you know, most of the... <laughs> As you, you know, know. Every now and then. But, but I, I think you're right. I don't know that there's ever been a time where I really took an extra step. Like, I really didn't have to go there, but I did. And, and something yeah. was sort of, you know, I think as artists, we get, tend to get obsessive about things. And there was something that just made me feel like, no, I really want to take it this extra step. And every time, it has been so worth it. And it's... Um, those are usually the ones that stand out and people remember. And and it doesn't yeah. equate to a, you know, I know occasionally when people are trying to figure out how to price their work. And so they start thinking about, you know, how many hours went into it. <laughs> it's, like, it's never those well, don't make any sense at all. No, but yet those are the ones we price. Those it, are the ones you love. Those are the ones, you know, that I still right. think about or that somebody will mention years after the fact. And they're always worth it. Always. And so I, that's exactly true. And, and, and that is, and I, I, I would imagine you will agree, that's one of the questions, you know, people, how long does it take you to make that? And and, and I, I'm sitting here saying, if you're wondering what I make per hour, it's probably a dollar an hour. Yeah. That, that formula has never worked. And, you know, I mean, not really, but because, you know, some pieces go smoothly and you'll finish them much quicker than you think. And then other pieces you start over five times and you buy new supplies and you buy this and you, and you have to have the frame remade and then this and then that, you know. And so it, Well, it and just, I, I just yeah. recently I was doing an event that I was talking about. Well, and sometimes if they don't sell eventually, like I'll sand them over and, you know, paint on top of them. And the person was just horrified. Yeah. And I said, I don't do it for all of them. <laughs> Occasionally, I have some that I really love. And no matter if they don't fit anymore, I keep them. But honestly, some of my favorite ones were the reincarnation of some past piece, because right. there's always this sort of leftover history in there that you can't quite identify, but it's somehow lurking underneath there. That's really great. So yeah, I may be wow. too quick these days to sand it down, burn it down, whatever, yeah. <laughs> scrape it off. Oh, I made a comment to somebody recently. I, I too do that often. I made a comment that if 
if there ever comes a day where where the uh, the people who archive work, you know, they they take the the, the machine and right. they look at your work to see what's under it, they're going to see two or three right. paintings right. under well, there. They, they were doing a. a, a redoing one of the Pollock pieces and it was interesting you know he had several layers of, of prior painting things underneath oh. there so I think it's just yeah, a sign of great I imagine most multi-layers arts. there <laughs> <laughs> but that does also bring back to some of the materials I put in my work that they too have had a previous history in life and that's very meaningful to me so it would only be natural that I should sand down paintings and do them all. Exactly. <laughs> so. Well, tell me what's on the horizon for you. I have started to really think about working smaller. I know that came up in the first part of our conversation, but um, something that I'm on a mission to do are doing these little vignettes of small things that could all work together in a very large installation. I I am challenging myself to do installation work and to do things that either hang from the ceiling that 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 work out in the middle of the room that that the viewer can become a part of. It becomes a part of of their world as much as them standing back and looking at it. Uh there's an interactive component to it and um so I have several things literally on in my sketchbook, which is something I do pretty regularly, almost daily, uh, s- sketch and doodle and write, um, that I, I want to do. Um, so, and, and those things are going to be hanging from the ceiling and also doing small pieces that are accessible, uh, small pieces with a big presence. And I'm, I'm also bringing fabric into my work uh, a little bit lately and cutting up and piecing that together and using more common materials than than what I've and less less um industrial materials. I want to kind of move away from the heavy springs that came out of a tractor mm-hmm. down to, you know, a little spring that came out of a stapler. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um uh, yeah, that's that's what I'm doing right now. I love and, that. Uh, I love the idea of being able to physically enter work. You know, I always I think about it how you know you want a viewer to enter a two dimensional work, but when you add that extra element of a three dimensionality of physically being interacting with the piece, it gets really exciting. I think. I I'm I'm realizing that it's it's a challenge. I mean, and I'm constantly pushing myself, and I feel like this is another new door opening for me, uh, a, a whole new dimension that I'm entering and going into, um, and going into, you know, working in something that I haven't ever worked in before. So, yeah. Is there anybody right now that's inspiring you or any, um, other works or books, podcasts, anything that's, Oh my gosh. I watched a documentary recently that just, had a huge effect on me and it was treasures from the rubbage mm, uh, that sounds right about, up your alley <laughs> it's about an artist lois wilson is her name uh, and uh someone actually made a museum about for her work and it's in fayette alabama and which is a town that she grew up in. So if anyone has the opportunity to look at that, it's it's on Amazon. You can watch it. But it made a huge impression on me. 
um, and how she just did her work because she needed and wanted to do it. She didn't do it to, to make money. She didn't do it. She did work regularly, and she did it because she needed to and loved it. And so um, that, you know, I, that made a huge impression on me. And uh, she left it as a legacy to the world. And I, I hope that someday that's that's how my work is viewed, is that it, it's just something that people can enjoy forever and ever. I love that. Well, for those who have not yet seen your work in person, um, well, first of all, where can they find you in the virtual world since we're still sort of living there at the moment? Um, I'm on Instagram, Sharon Kyle Artworks. Um, and uh, my website is SharonKyle.org art um it's a not dot com but dot art studio in houston yeah i have a studio in houston um and it's uh, in the heights if anyone's familiar with houston so well we'll put all the links below but um thank you so much for joining us today and i do hope all of you get a chance to see sharon's work in person because the the physicality of it is really beautiful and it's um It's hard to capture all of that in imagery. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. It's great talking. Well, that wraps it up for us today. Thank you for joining us. You can find the links to Sharon's work, as well as the books and people we discussed in the show notes below. If you enjoyed this conversation, please hit subscribe and share a comment. Until next week, stay kind, stay positive, keep swimming. 